0: So you know that football season is near when the NFL Top 100 gets going, and I remember oh, when they used God. to like really delay the launch of this thing. They go all, they're like, "Ah, oh, we're just gonna give you like six episodes right, right in a row, no. and then, uh, and then finish it off uh, in the coming weeks." But I had no idea. So Kirk Cousins made the list. I think he was uh in the bottom ten, somewhere in there, but I. I caught this uh, stat that they threw out that blew my mind. That Kirk Cousins is 7th all-time in career passer rating and 3rd all-time in completion percentage. That blows my mind. Honestly, that's I That's crazy. 3rd all-time. For a guy that's played a decade he in the completes league. boss. Dink and <laughs> dunk Kirk, man. Hey, that's uh there's been a lot of those though in the league i mean you want to talk to alex smith or you know uh, whatever i go down the list that's crazy seventh all-time in passer rating is really what got me he has a higher career passer rating than tom brady
1: well you know what though that just I also barely, goes to show but... to me that also just goes to show it re it reaffirms the fact that you can't just base players based off of stats and when right. you, the sure. eye test matters <laughs> you know what i mean And all of that type of stuff, because
0: and Kirk Cousins. I mean,
1: <laughs> I, th- I can't remember who it was on Twitter, but I think it was maybe Warren Sharp or someone, but it was like, literally you can just make arguments off of quarterbacks based like Kirk Cousins is the scale. Are they above Kirk Cousins? Are they below Kirk Cousins? Are they the new Kirk Cousins? Are they the old Kirk Cousins? Like he is himself just a scale because he's so middle of the road where you just, uh, you just can base everything off of, of Kirk Cousins.
0: Yeah, those like in How I Met Your Mother when uh, Barney's talking about the uh, the hot crazy scale, yeah, and the Vicky Mendoza line he says yep. is the uh, is right there on on a little bit uh, like like just that lukewarm of uh, you know hot enough and crazy enough to to still pass. I felt like that's uh, kind of what you do with Kirk Cousins. He's good enough to get you by, uh, but he's not going to put you over the top in any particular category. And well, what's crazy to me, the about- reason you're winning a bunch of games.
1: Absolutely. I mean, it's crazy to me about Kirk cousins is if Kirk cousins was around in the nineties, the eighties, he'd be a 15 year starter for one team or 12 year starter for one team. And you know, like, uh, like anyone, I mean, he's the perfect quarterback for that. Maybe a little undersized, but that's exactly what they just wanted. A guy in I formation drop back, really accurate with the football doesn't get injured. Um, and is, you know, just kind of the all American guy who leads the team, but he's just so athletically underwhelming in today's game, but yet still so efficient and accurate with the football that he, he's able to move the football and put up sets to win you just enough games to keep, keep himself getting paid, but not to uh, be able to actually lead a team and put a team on his back.
0: Yeah, very true. I mean, he's done it for a decade and made a ton of money in the process. So clearly, he's doing something right. But it is that uh, it is that you know perfect uh, example of kind of just uh, playing in the middle ground. That's kind of how I felt about Dak when the the Cowboys wanted to pay Dak. It's like, well, I mean, it's hard not to because he's he's good. He's a you know average to above, slightly above average quarterback, and that's kind of where Kirk Cousins falls. Yeah. Patrick Mahomes, Deshaun Watson, Aaron Rodgers, Russell Wilson. Dak and Drew Brees are the six ahead of him in the uh, career rating list. So that does give you a little bit of an idea of how that number uh, can, can be fudged a little bit, although that is some good company towards the top of that list for sure. But uh, we got a stack show for you. We got our first uh, legitimate weekend of preseason football outside of the hall of fame game. We got some starters. We got to see some teams in action with a lot of uh, who they'll be rolling out there. Uh, Come the second week of September for the season opener. So we're going to discuss some of the news from this past week. And then we're going to end the show in the back half discussing ESPN's all-time teams, uh, both offense and defense, the GOATs at their respective positions. So that'll be an interesting one to kind of tackle through the offensive line they don't go through every position on the offensive line it's one guard one tackle yeah one center and they do a similar thing on the defense as well so it'll be interesting to see if we have any disagreements on who the best player is at every one of these positions uh in relation to ESPN so that's coming up a little bit later but certainly we've got uh, some things to talk about because there was some football being played and that means that Uh, There are some narratives already forming and uh, some injuries, unfortunately, as well. And uh, while it was a relatively injury free first week, uh, of course, a big one uh, fell upon the New York Jets with uh, quarterback Zach Wilson, who appears to have a severe bone bruise. And um, I don't know if they were calling it a torn meniscus officially, but uh, some sort of meniscus injury uh, that's going to require some cleaning up there as well, but it's a two to four week prognosis currently for Zach Wilson. Uh, I'll just uh, defer to you right now to talk about this injury, what it means for him and what it means for the jets. And if you actually see him coming back uh, in that time frame.
1: I mean, this is devastating. It's huge. I think it's huge, huge, huge news. And I think it's one of those things where if you were a jets fan, it was quite possibly the worst, like, drive of your, of your life as a fan. I mean, maybe the butt fumbles worse, but you have so much promise with this second, second year for Zach Wilson. It's everyone is looking for these second year quarterbacks. Every franchise that has one is like, we need to see the jump, right? This is the jump year. Gotta see the pop. You know what I mean? Look at what Joe Burrow does in his second year. It's not saying you have to get to the super bowl, but we now judge quarterbacks based on by mid by like, once they've started a year and a half, uh, like that's it. You got to make your decision on a guy because we've seen the great quarterbacks by a year and a half in, we know they can play football at the highest level. The Kyler Murray's the, the Joe Burrows where it's like, Oh yeah, they're playing at an MVP like level. They are winning playoff games. They are leading their teams of playoffs. They have something special about them. Justin Herbert. I mean, it was getting first time he took the field and it was, you know what I mean? And, And it hasn't, he literally hasn't stopped since. So, um, for Zach Wilson to have this injury after throwing a horrendous interception. And the thing that concerns me the most about it, Dan, is here's a guy that literally was drafted two overall last year based on the potential of athleticism, right? He wowed you with the film of like, holy crap, he's like almost as accurate as Drew Brees. He's undersized, but he's like Johnny Manziel. Uh, like to the nth degree, as far as athleticism and, and fluidity in his body and his control that we are like, this is the modern quarterback who cares. He's a little undersized. This is the type of guy you want a playmaker mobile, um, really, really accurate. And what did we see last year? Inaccuracy. His athleticism was underwhelming. And then he was injured and then you go, all right, well, okay. It's year one. He's a rookie rough BYU to the pros. There's some the transition Jets. there, yeah. and what do we get? We get a horrendous pick, and then you get a a, a guy who he clearly put on weight. That was an off-season storyline. He wanted to bulk up a little bit. I could take the NFL hits, and you get a non-contact injury. So that to me goes to show his body can't perform with the weight he's at that he gained. Like, and that's a problem. Then, because then if you got to slim down, you worry then about strength and longevity. I already, if I'm a Jets fan, am thinking absolutely, we need to consider bringing in Jimmy Garoppolo. Like, honestly, because Jimmy Garoppolo, then you at least have that real adult presence in the building. You have a guy that knows the head coach, knows the offensive coordinator. Jimmy Garoppolo would become the second-best quarterback in that division overnight. And you could then say, Zach Wilson, don't rush back. Get as healthy as you can. And as soon as Zach's healthy, and the, and the, the Jets, if they brought in Garoppolo, would have to say, Jimmy Garoppolo is our quarterback until Zach Wilson's 100% healthy, and then once Zach Wilson's healthy, you start Zach Wilson. And by the end of the year, you'll know if Zach Wilson's going to be your future or not. I'm already out. I'm done on Zach Wilson. I was done when they drafted him. I didn't. I didn't think he'd be a he'd be a success story in the NFL. I was firm on that. And this to me lines up the more more of a concern. I think this is a disaster for the Jets franchise. I don't think J- I don't think that Zach Wilson is capable now of being a franchise quarterback. I know that may seem like an overreaction. I'm just, to me, it's not. I felt that way coming out as, as they were scouting him. I wouldn't have drafted him as high as they would. I wouldn't have taken him over Trey Lance. Wouldn't have taken him over Mac Jones. Wouldn't have taken him over Justin Fields. And I think if you're a Jets franchise, you can quietly, by the end of the year, even if you bring in Jimmy G, then know, all right, we have to move off Zach Wilson. We have Jimmy G. And you give him the fair chance. This is still his year when he's healthy, but I, it's a disaster in my opinion, Dan. I don't think people will make it a big wow. enough deal about this becoming, th- this is the storyline. I think Zach Wilson, I, 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 I really don't know. He's got to do so much now this year to get back not only healthy and then have a huge year for me to have so much confidence going into next year saying, all right, Zach Wilson can compete at the highest level and win you games uh, for, a, for a franchise that has Josh Allen in their division.
0: Well, I do think it's an overreaction. I I think that's, I think it's certainly not devastating. I think it could have been so much worse. Uh, A non-contact injury like that appeared to be an ACL season ending type of thing. They're saying he could potentially be ready by week one. We don't, I don't know if that's going to happen. I doubt that's going to happen, but I think he's, I think he's back within the first four games and that's, that's my guess Uh, in, in September at some point he's going to be making uh his entrance back into the league. So I think he avoided some serious issues there. And I think it is a bit harsh. The non-contact thing, I mean, that's that to me just seemed like a fluky injury. That that could happen to anyone. Um, it was a it was a chop, and you could kind of tell that like the knee just went in a weird way. I feel like that could that could happen to a lot of people. If this be if this if he gets hurt again in a very similar type of injury. That's and and within like a year from now or maybe like even a year and a half from now, then I'll start to think about whether or not this guy's injury prone. Sometimes I think it can be just injury plagued. I mean, we forget Christian McCaffrey was healthy for his first three seasons entirely. Now it's been back to back years. You do wonder. But if he has another healthy season this year, all of a sudden you're not you're not calling Christian McCaffrey an injury prone pl- player. You're saying, man, he got pretty unlucky with a couple years of some fl- weird fluky injuries. So I think there's still the jury's still out for Zach Wilson. Um, I agree with you that I would have taken those other guys ahead of him. I probably would have taken Mac Jones ahead of Zach Wilson, because I didn't think we saw enough in college to warrant a number two overall pick in the draft. Um, I think there were the tools were there for the other guys. So from that aspect, I absolutely agree. And I think that the Jets should be wondering, you know, like if they, if they don't get a big year out of him this year, then you got to start getting ready because you've already put a lot of capital into the rest of this team and you can't waste that entirely by letting him go through year five, um, like what maybe the Giants are doing with Daniel Jones. Um, so I think Jimmy Garoppolo would be a great fit in New York, but with the Giants rather, because I think they could actually commit to him longer wow. term. I agree. If you, you go should. to the Giants, you just say, look, Daniel, I mean, we've seen enough. We've seen what, we, what we're what we going to get. If if he's on the Giants, that's a legit, like, potential playoff team. Um, if he goes to the Jets, I, I, I wonder if they're going to do that because I think they feel comfortable having Joe Flacco for a couple games. Um, so, and I think that's the route that they're going to go. It wouldn't be a bad fit, of course. I think Jimmy would, you know, make that team better right away. Um, but it'll be interesting to see. I mean, I, I'm more curious how this actual prognosis is going to play out. We're going to know more once they actually get into the knee and figure out what work exactly needs to be done. To me, two to four seemed very optimistic um, for not only bone bruise, which are you know, notoriously extremely painful, uh, but then you add the meniscus on top of it uh, at that position, especially for a guy who was you know, dubbed as a mobile quarterback. Uh, to me, that was a pretty optimistic outlook. I, I don't see, I, I think, you know, week three, week four of the NFL season, much more likely than week one or sitting out just week one. I
1: just want to, I'll clarify my comments and just make sure I, I mean, again, I come from a, of a jaded point where I've never been high in Zach Wilson. So it's easy for me to sit here and say, if I was a Jets fan, I would immediately be like, I want Jimmy G because I think I can win more games with Jimmy G as my quarterback this year than I can with Zach Wilson. And I'm, I would, I'm just saying Zach Wilson was drafted on his athleticism and the potential of this kind of freakish athlete with this really accurate arm. And there's nothing that has really wowed you about Zach Wilson so far. And now bad hamstring that uh, hampered him for so many games last year. And now a non-contact knee injury, that to me, clearly, yeah. I would say it draws comparison to the fact that he tried to bulk up knowing that his body was taking hits and now his own body is saying, no, 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 I can't play at this level. I can't do the things you want me to do at this weight and at this level. And so I think it's a, I think it's a real concern. I, I really do. And I, and I, I think that I agree with you, Jimmy G in New York, Jimmy G in, uh, in, uh, in, uh, Cleveland, because I've said it, I've said it before, Cleveland. When they paid Deshaun Watson, clearly was saying to the league, "We are trying to win games right now. We are all in. We are all yeah. in." And how can you how can you then change off of that trajectory? You're already your franchise has already been uh, dragged through the coals enough for doing what you did with Deshaun Watson. At least if you bring in Jimmy G, a guy that's kind of universally liked, or he's not exactly like a bad guy. Like you can be like, all right, well, no, no, we're committed to winning now. We want to win as many games as we can. If you start Jacoby Brissett for a whole year, you're clearly not committed to winning games. Like what what does that do for you? Uh, Especially when you traded picks to get Deshaun Watson. It's not like you have picks. So um,
0: there's a lot. And they somehow have among the most money in the league just because of the deferred years. Next year they're in the red heavily, but um, they actually could afford it despite they would have, they would essentially be paying like sixty. Five to seventy million dollars in their quarterbacks alone, they'd still have the money to do it, though. So I'm not against that. I I think that'd be smart, especially because we're probably staring at like twelve games here for Deshaun, if if not the full season. And so I think
1: Goodell wants the year; he's going to get the year. I think. I think you're going to see it. He's. I don't think. I don't think this is different from the Brady thing. But but he showed remorse,
0: Mark. He just showed remorse for the first time. Oh,
1: I know. Goodell (laughs) knew. Goodell knew when he was fighting Brady that there'd be the a lot of people online who wouldn't love it and he would have to face a backlash. No one is going to be defending Deshaun Watson. Like, no, you scumbag NFL, let the man play, let him play. That's the thing. You're not going to look good
0: defending that guy.
1: Cleveland fans are the only ones who may be doing that, but I don't even think Cleveland fans do it. So we'll see. I, again, I just, I will say this. I let it be known. I want it on the record, August 15, 2022. I think Zach Wilson, this officially puts it into the, I completely would write it off. I would, if I was the jets, I'd be already thinking about, we need to start looking elsewhere. I, I'm, I'm serious. Like as, you got to give him this year, he gets the year whenever he's healthy, but I would already start bringing things in place to be more set at quarterback than old Joe Flacco and and
0: Mike white, you know? Yeah. Well, at that point, then you just tank and uh, hope to get CJ Stroud or something next year. Yeah. But um yeah, and that may that could still happen. I mean, they it's not like they won a bunch of games last year. So uh, that, that certainly could be in play for the New York Jets. Um, plenty of games. We're not going to go over the games uh, in general. Yeah. A lot of stuff happened, but I'll just kind of cast a wide net here see if there were any uh, particular storylines or particular players that you were keeping an eye on and, and things you found interesting out of this first week of the preseason.
1: Well, there's a lot. I will keep it to a limited. I thought there were three really important things to watch for in, in this week in the preseason and this upcoming week. And I think it stands the same. I think that the, there's only three really big storylines that are kind of juicy. And that is the quarterback situation in Cleveland. I mean, in uh, Pittsburgh, the quarterback situation in Carolina, and then the second-year quarterbacks, right? You saw Trevor Lawrence. I'll go to the second-year quarterbacks. I thought Lawrence looked really comfortable, had some really flashy moments. Trey Lance obviously looked really comfortable, had a couple big plays, the big bomb touchdown. That's exciting. We just talked about Zach Wilson. He had a disastrous first uh, appearance. Haven't seen Mac Jones yet. And then I thought Justin Fields, there was positive things to take from it. Wasn't brilliant, but he had a nice ball to Mooney. Felt like, okay, we got some work to do here on the offensive line, but there's pieces. So I think those, those are the two things. I'll turn it to you for the other situations. My, my, I'll, before I throw it to you, I'll genuinely say I thought Pittsburgh was kind of best-case scenario. Things looked great. Mitch played well and Kenny played well. Like, yay, that's exactly what you want. The goal, the goal I think, if you were to give true serum to Mike Tomlin and the Steelers was, give Kenny as much time as possible, ride it out with Mitch and try to win as many games with Mitch until things go off the rails. Cause we want to protect this Kenny kid and we want him to be our quarterback for 15 years. I think the best way to do that is to give him time this year. And then, um, and then for Carolina, uh, it was all ugly. I didn't, I didn't really love anything that we saw Carolina. I mean, it was Darnold who had the tutty, uh, Corral, uh, you know, so, uh, your thoughts on, on those kind of three things. Those are the three things to me that were most important. I will also just say, I will, I will officially put the stamp on it. Jordan love is a complete bust and Jordan love will uh, never be the starting quarterback for the green Bay Packers.
0: Yeah. It's, um, it's been a rocky road for Jordan love and it didn't seem to, you, you expect to just see uh, some flashes of something, right? You You don't even expect total consistency, I just don't think we've seen that yet. We we saw that from Trey Lance uh, this past weekend. Uh, and we, we saw some big plays that he made. Obviously, he had like the, you know, the huge uh, throw to Danny Gray there, the fellow rookie or the other rookie um, there on the outside. And, you know, so there were moments there where you, you thought Trey Lance uh, looked a little bit more comfortable maybe um, there in that offense. So, I mean, he's clearly the guy, so they're throwing a lot of support behind him. It's a little bit different of a situation, but still saw the flashes there. Carolina, I... Um, yeah. I mean, I agree. I I think it, I don't think either guy really like separated themselves much. I thought Darnold was more inspiring overall. Uh, he did have the touchdown. I think he looked a little bit better. That was also expected though, given his familiarity in the offense, uh, given a leg up there and the fact that he was playing more against second team guys uh, than he was first team guys. Baker did lead them on a scoring drive, although it wasn't a touchdown um, from him. Um So it's, you know, too early to tell, basically. I think we're still at square one. And they're probably still going to give Baker the nod again, is my guess, because they want to keep – I think they really want this to be the case, that Baker wins the job. So they're going to give him more opportunities. But if he puts up a stinker uh, this upcoming week, they might have to turn to Darnold for the final game and, and, and figure out if they've got something there with the first team. Otherwise then they're just going to be in a situation where are we just playing uh, patty cake uh, and, uh, and, 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 and passing an, or, you know, hot potato, whatever you want to call it. And, uh, and going back and forth, that's kind of worst case scenario for them. If I was
1: Carolina, this is what I would do. I would play the starters surrounding Baker for at least the first quarter in week two to give him a full quarter, maybe even more, maybe go into the second quarter then I would sit all the starters and I wouldn't even really play Darnold. I'd give a corral. I mean, give Darnold a little bit, but then I would give it corral a lot of the, the sec- whole second half. And then week three, I would give the starters and Darnold, like the first full quarter or two, and then no Baker and then give it to corral. So that way you at least say, okay, um, each guy got the go. We keep going with practice. I think Baker will start week one, but like I've said before, if, if all of a sudden the Panthers are sitting there and Baker started the first three weeks in their own three and he hasn't looked at are own three, but he's at 10, he's at five touchdowns, no interceptions and a rushing touchdown and he's playing well. They just are giving up a bunch of points and everything else is, is falling apart around him. He'll keep starting. But if he is part of the reason they're Oh, and three, I think you'll see them go to Darnold pretty yeah. quickly. Like I've made my prediction. I think, I think corral Darnold and Baker will, uh start at least one game for the Panthers it this season each one of them
0: at carousel and Carolina for sure uh, as for Pittsburgh uh, not only did those two play well but Mason Rudolph played really well too uh, they all threw a touchdown pass in this game i thought Mitch um did a great job on that first series like very comfortable driving them the length of the field ending it with a touchdown throw of himself he, you see you know um, we, we saw him roll out and actually square up and throw, you know, mechanics has kind of been the the knock on him this whole time. I thought he looked uh, pretty good uh, in the pocket. I thought his feet looked a lot better. Uh, so that was encouraging. Uh, I think almost it, it's a weird thing because yes, it was good. It was good for Pittsburgh to like see that all three quarterbacks were competent and could run the offense, but it also didn't help them make the decision. I think <laughs> yeah. at all either. Like you hope that one of the guys just like stinks and you could be like, okay, now it's actually more of just this two-way competition here and we could start narrowing things down. I don't think they could really narrow the field very much off of this game. Kenny Pickett looked very comfortable uh, for a rookie, like right out of the gate. Uh, I, they, they got him on a bootleg, thrown on the run, not the easiest thing to do. I think the uh, situation that he was put in actually was very conducive to learning about him because he was put in a tough spot late uh they get they end up giving the ball away on fourth down defense gets it back for them okay Kenny you've got an opportunity now with a minute and minute and change to try and win the game put himself in a pressure situation like that he ended up delivering uh in the final seconds getting that touchdown throw so I thought that was really cool uh I was encouraged by it it wasn't anything crazy uh but that was almost kind of nice just to see you know Within structure uh him fitting well, being accurate, and making smart decisions not not doing anything um you know outside of of what you're what's expected of you so uh, I thought that was encouraging uh, I think Mitch still has that inside track because of how well he played uh but if in the next two weeks, Mitch starts to regress heavily i I could see a situation where uh if Mason is still looking all right, that he gets the start um and if Pickett somehow elevates like crazy over the next two weeks. He could even start too. So I could really see a multitude of possibilities out here in Pittsburgh, but I still think Mitch is the guy that's going to get that week one start. And uh, he did look good and comfortable. Fits the offense well. I will say this. George Pickens is an absolute – he's going to be a star, like, already. It looks great. I have never seen reports out of camp so glowing about a guy and and we're talking in the Le'Veon Bell, Antonio Brown. Uh, I mean, Antonio Brown. There were reports, but it took some time. From day one, they were like George Pickens, a, an absolute stud. I mean, he's been making plays all training camp. Made a couple of huge plays in this game. Uh, Pittsburgh just keeps finding stud wide receivers, man. And so that he's going to be the next one for sure.
1: Well, this one fell to him a little bit too. I, I couldn't believe he was still on the board when he was.
0: And it, Pittsburgh yeah, got it. He got hurt, you know, it it hurt his final year. And and some teams are shy away from that. You you thought though, with the number of wide receivers that were taken, that he was going to be a guy that maybe in air, uh, uh, or a Chicago or a new England would take a chance on, on a guy with such a high pedigree at a a power five program, a national championship winning program. But, uh, he falls the Pittsburgh and I'm, I'm happy he did.
1: I will say just quickly. I know a lot of the Bears fans. You know, if you're listening to this, you know you want my full report. I'll I'll just say this. I thought overall for my Bears, really quickly, um, I was impressed by the talent, like the depth. Like there were some guys you keep your eye on. You're like, oh, okay, they're making some plays, and and you didn't even get to see Jones Jr. and some of the other people that you're really excited about seeing. I thought the offensive line more impressive than I was. I was concerned for the offensive line's obviously been a huge concern. For the Bears, it feels a little patchworky. They brought in some veterans, and it seems like all right. They're starting to move some things around, and things are are settling.
0: Um, Another stud safety there in Chicago uh, appears as well. I know, (laughs) and again, that's a that's a great
1: if a a team like the Bears needs Ryan Poles. Ryan Pace was the king of fifty percent hit rate on his picks.
0: Fourth round. The problem. The problem
1: was most of his good picks were like third and fourth rounders and his first and second rounders stunk, but he traded up a lot for first and second rounders, and didn't have as many third and fourth rounders. Cause he was constantly trading up, so, but he did find, you know, the David Montgomery's and these people who are, you know, kind of hidden gems later on, but I'll say this, it, it pulls, it, it feels like he can hit on some num- uh, on some of these, on these picks and, and develop talent that's going to be huge for an organization like the bears who need help with homegrown talent. And they just struggled with it for five years, six years in the previous uh, front office administration being consistent with it. And we know the draft's an inconsistent game, but you got to be able to uh, find depth and quality of depth because uh, it's just, it's a league where all 54, 53 guys on your roster, you're going to, you're going to see action from, it's just the type of the league it is. So I felt encouraged by that I felt encouraged by Justin Fields. It also feels good to win. Soldier Field is a mess. The field was a disaster. They had just had a big concert. I can't remember who it was. Um, it was like Lady Gaga or Elton John or someone. It was a big concert in town like a couple nights before. And it's just more reason why the Bears they're leaving Chicago. They're leaving Soldier Field as soon yeah, as they yeah.
0: can. It's just and, it's and, it's uh, it, it'll, stone. Those conditions
1: were Um outrageous. and I and I'll just say uh, overall Uh, If Patrick Mahomes would have played all four quarters, the Bears would not have won because he was he was insane in one drive, just like Patrick being Patrick and the Chiefs. Any worries that Tyree kill not being there would slow down the Chiefs? uh, I don't I don't think that's going to be the case.
0: They're going to be just fine. I I did think people like blew that out of proportion when uh, when the move came. Of course, he's great. Of course, like that's going to be that's going to change some things. But it's Patrick Mahomes, and they got Juju, and they got you know rookies and Sky Moore. You know, like they got guys MVS. Like they're going to be just fine in that department. Um, so, yeah, I I think that was a much ado about maybe not nothing, but not a whole lot either. Yeah. Um. Some some other news here. Lamar Jackson has loosely indicated that a deadline is going to be week one for a contract extension to get done. And then he's going to shut down the talks. He didn't say he's like not going to play the season or anything, uh, but he did say, you know, the contract extension talks need to end uh, by week one. So he's hoping that they reach some sort of extension. Then if not, looks like they're going to wait until the end of the season to pick things up. Is this uh, something to worry about in your um, perspective, or is this more just, um, you know, Lamar, you know, being definitive and and you know, hopefully it sounds like just not wanting there to be a distraction in season.
1: Yeah, it sounds like that and Lamar represents himself, so that's obviously different yeah. than him and his mom basically. I'll just say this, I think I think Baltimore's playing a little bit with fire here. You know what the market is, look at the Kyler deal and just get it done and just give him the what he needs to do a little bit more than Kyler unless Lamar is asking for Astronomical things. And maybe he is, and the Ravens just aren't putting it out there that he's asking for a- astronomical moves. I wouldn't pay Lamar and much more. I mean, to me, the Kyler Murray deal is a perfect, perfect example. Like use that, give him a little bit more, and you go on. You reset the market. I'm very comfortable with Lamar at those numbers, especially as the cap grows in the next couple of years. And he is an MVP and he is in the AFC. You need him as a weapon. Like you just do. And again, I'm comfortable with Lamar in a five-year deal because you're getting Lamar for the next five years. I'm not comfortable on Lamar for a six, seven, eight, nine-year deal because I just don't know physically if he can hold up. We saw it with Cam Newton, uh, you know, people of just these physical freaks. I, I want to make sure that I have them uh, for, during their prime. And I think Lamar, the Baltimore's just got to be a little careful. Now, they can obviously franchise tag him or keep him around, and but – you do not want Lamar Jackson to hit the open market. He will get paid. He will be gone. And it's not easy finding MVP quarterbacks. It's just not. And Lamar is a guy who is so from everything we've, I've read and I've seen so committed to football family. And he's not Mr. Club guy. He's not Mr. Video games like Kyler Murray. Like, so I just don't know exactly where, the disconnect is, and maybe it is that Lamar's asking price is so high and the Ravens are saying to themselves, we just can't do it. We just can't yeah. do it because there is numbers that are too high. Uh, there's not a and number it, too the, high the for the.
0: Ru- rumors are that, that he wants a fully guaranteed contract and that, you know, those are hard to come by. And so well, that could also be, you know, that, that's I could the do Sean Watson ask, you know,
1: I could do it at like, you know, I would do it. It's just the number has to be different. I could do it at 180. Yeah. I could maybe do it at a 100 and 190, 200, like pushing the max, but I, I can't, I don't think I could go 230 or whatever that Deshaun got. I just, I just, I just don't know if I could, because you are um, in a really tough division. You're going to need a lot of pieces around you to get by Joe Burrow in the next couple of years and Patrick Mahomes and those quarterbacks. Well, Patrick, at least, and, and Josh Allen, both signed deals that are going to be very friendly to the cap. And get fully guaranteed deals are not full, uh, friendly to the cap. So uh, it yeah. is, uh, it's it's going to be uh, – that's interesting if that's the r- reports.
0: Something to monitor for sure. We've got a couple of weeks th- until then, so maybe we'll be hearing about uh, a big deal getting struck between the two sides in the coming weeks. Uh, some other quick uh, tidbits. Uh, a couple weird, interesting stories here. Um, first coming out of the Tennessee Titans, former Steelers outside linebacker, edge rusher. Bud Dupree. Uh, I, you know, I almost forgot about this story. It's happened back in January. He was um, uh, charged with assault on a, a pl- employee at a Walgreens in Nashville. He has uh, since pled guilty to a lesser misdemeanor assault charge today and was sentenced to six months of unsupervised probation. Uh, uh, there's really no word as to kind of how this is going to affect if it at all, uh, any playing time there was supposed to be practice today with the Tennessee Titans. And it's unclear as of right now, I'm not seeing any reports indicating whether or not he was there at practice. Um, and the Titans did decline to comment on the situation uh, today as well. So that's something to monitor too. Obviously, you know, he's a, uh, a big time player for the Titans, um, but to, uh, you know, have an altercation with an employee uh, and apparently some other individuals there at the Walgreens, uh, not a good sign uh, at all, and the fact that he pled guilty clearly uh, just wanted to put this behind him. But six yeah. months probation there for Bud Dupree, and then this story here, Mark, is is very strange. Um, this kind of uh, skated on by almost uh, this morning, but I was able to catch it and uh, one of the sidebars. Uh, we all know about Akib Talib, an ex NFL cornerback, played uh, many years. Um, I forget all the teams he played with. Uh, the Broncos. Most Denver, is New, what England. I in, in New England. Remember New England, but apparently he and his brother are coaches uh, for a youth football team in the Dallas area, uh, Lancaster to be exact. And his brother, um, I, I hope I'm pronouncing this right, y- Yakub or Yakib, I'm not sure how it's pronounced. Turned himself in today after a shooting that resulted in the death of what they're reporting as a, another youth football coach in that area. Uh, apparently, he was shot and killed uh, over the weekend. Akib ya- uh, Tlaib's brother, Yaquib or Yakib has uh, since turned himself in. His attorney has said that the reason for turning himself in was so that he, quote, has the chance to say his side of the story. Uh, and there's really no other elaboration outside of that. Um, But it is a homicide case. And one of the coaches of the or the president, I should say, of the youth team of which they coach said that the dispute began when the uh, victim went to pick up a football and someone kicked it away. So that's it's bizarre. Uh, That's kind of all we know. And, uh, you know, it seems like obviously it, it seems like the kids were there. So I, I don't know what the heck happened, but this is certainly something to to keep an eye on uh, a crazy, crazy story.
1: Well, yeah. I mean, obviously the, you're just devastated for uh, the family, the person to, the guy lost life over, it seems like some sort of stupid argument. Uh, and the only thing to watch for, in my opinion, would be like, all right, well is a key, you know, implicated in this in any way, shape or form, or is his brother says he's got his side of the story, but it is one of those, just wild stories. And it reminds you that, listen, adults, they take, the, you got to learn how to handle yourself in an argument. And, and uh, there's no reason things like this over little league sports where you're supposed to be coaches and, uh, and mentoring kids should ever lead to, Oh, I shot and killed another person. And that's what it seems like it happened and pretty disturbing and kind of a crazy story. Cause I haven't heard of it at all until you brought it up yeah. before we started the show. And I was like, that's wild.
0: You know, and it's, you know, obviously it's not the important part of this, but Akib Talib uh, was just named as Prime's Thursday night football part of their, their, uh, you know, broadcast, whether or not he was going to be uh, one of the key figures. But, you know, obviously that, that might uh, certainly have to shift things there. He did retire in 2020. Uh, he and his brother were coaches for uh, the North Dallas United Bobcats and the victim Uh, was a coach for the DEA Dragons, an interesting name for a youth football team. But yeah, nonetheless, uh, wild story, obviously awful to hear, Uh, but that is the case. And, you know, obviously we don't know very much, uh, but that's where it stands right now. So that kind of wraps up the primary amount of news that's come out today and the past week here uh, with the preseason and everything like that. So, I had mentioned a couple episodes ago that I noticed ESPN's um, all all time team, all time goat team is what they're calling it um, at every position on the offense. And then they, the next day came out with the defense. So we're going to look at those real quick and give our, our quick reactions to that.
1: Yeah. And this is not like uh, they list like two guards, two tackles, two wide Correct. receivers. They're just saying, if you're in a bar and you're having the argument, who's the greatest quarterback of all time, or who's the greatest, just pick one wide receiver of all time.
0: Who's the best so tackle? It's it's, who's it's the simplified. Best. They are yep. trying
1: to find the GOAT at each position. So Dan's gonna list them off, and we'll kind of react one by one and see what uh we think they got right and got wrong.
0: So a quarterback, they got Tom Brady. At no running complaints. back, no complaints there. Running back, Jim Brown. Uh wide receiver, Jerry Rice. At uh tight end, Rob Gronkowski. That would surprise me a little bit, although I do agree with the pick. Um, uh, offensive tackle goes to Anthony Munoz, uh, guard, Larry Allen, and, uh, finally center goes to Mike Webster. That was a, a kind of a sleeper pick there too. I was a little bit of surprised by that, but that was, uh, awesome to see that as well. Former Pittsburgh Steeler. So that's, that's the list, uh, right there. Any disagreements on your end?
1: I mean, I think, you know, what I'm going to say, I would put Walter ahead of Jim Brown. I think Walter Payne is the greatest running back of all time. Uh, but again, I I have no real arguments that Larry Allen, Anthony Munoz, uh, and then Mike Webster kind of surprised me. I was you know had other names in my head, and then you look at his resume again, you're like, no, that makes sense. And Mike Webster was a really great player, Hall of Famer, obviously, All Decades Team, multiple Super Bowl winner, and you're just kind of like, yeah, no, I, I don't really have anywhere to argue. Jerry Rice, to me, um, listen, Jerry Rice, it's it's kind of funny, Jerry. Jerry's a little bit like Tom in the sense that you can't really argue it because of the stats, the numbers and the eye test. But I do think we all agree that like Moss is more talented. You know what I mean? Like Moss is the better, like in a lot of ways, we all kind of agree that Rogers, as far as just in a vacuum playing the position is maybe the most talented guy to ever do it, but winning leadership, longevity and other things play a factor into creating the goat. And uh, I think it's easier. I think it's, I think everything they got pretty much right. I would put Walter ahead of Jim, but I've made that argument on here before we don't need to rehash it.
0: Yeah. And you know, I, I'm pretty much in agreement with this entire list. I, I don't really take objection to anything. I, I thought the Rob Gronkowski one was interesting because I, I figured that the voters would probably end up going with Tony Gonzalez uh, but I think they got it right. Honestly. Um, that's, that's kind of where I stand. Obviously when we did our top 10 running backs of all time, Jim Brown was number one on my list. So I agree with that pick as well. Tom Brady is an, you know easy and uh, yeah, Webby played, uh, I want to say it was a uh, 17, 18 seasons in the NFL. I mean, he played a really long time, 245 games in his career. Uh, and, and he did it at a high level for, for a long time. And, you know, it was a, you know, always underrated. So it was cool to see him get that nod. Larry Allen is the most dominant, you know, lineman that's probably ever played. Yeah. Uh, So that was pretty easy. And Munoz was obviously super solid for the Bengals for so many of those years there when they were operating the West coast offense and things like that. I will say with
1: the, with the tight end argument, it is funny because it's kind of what I just made the case for why you choose Jerry over Randy. It's kind of the opposite for Gronk versus Gonzalez. Gonzalez has the longevity, has the stats. He's the leader in, like, everything for tight ends. But when you watch Gronk and you watch the film, you just go, no, 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 I want that guy as my yeah. tight end. And Gonzalez, and he, and if I'm Tony Gonzalez, so I'm a little well. pissed. I'm a little pissed because he's a freak, too. I mean, Tony Gonzalez, 6'5", yeah, over basketball yeah. player. I mean, w- but I, I just think overall versatility in your offense it's tough. I mean, it is one of those weird things. Or Gonzalez has a right to maybe be pissed a little bit, but I think Gronk. Yeah, if by preference, I I would go Gronk one, Tony two. Um, and I'd be pumped to have either of them, but uh, you know, I think Gronk's a little bit more versatile if you're just trying to overall play the game and a modern or historical level.
0: It was each. Uh, they had 50 voters, so Gronk earned 23 of the 50. Uh, Tony Gonzalez got 21 of the 50. So yeah, that tells you how close it was. And I, I think that's fair. Uh, Kellen Winslow got two. So he was the, uh, the third runner up there. I mean, as far as the quarterbacks go, I don't even know how many, um, you know, votes can go around outside of Tom Brady. But um, what, what ended up happening was, uh, I guess what we anticipated with Joe Montana getting four votes, Peyton Manning two, and then Tom just running away with the rest. 44 out of 50 yeah. votes, pretty clear there all right let's switch to the defensive side now uh and 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 this one might be a little bit more interesting um edge rusher goes to lawrence taylor i i think we would agree with that yeah um defensive tackle goes to aaron donald already uh he got 39 of 50 votes ray lewis linebacker i feel validated there with that one since uh since i had ray lewis there as the uh leading linebacker in our all-time defensive list but i digress we continue on um, cornerback goes to Deion Sanders and, uh, finally safety, Ronnie Lott. And then, oh yeah, they, they included special teams as well. And, uh, Adam Vinatieri getting the nod there as the kicker punter category with Devin Hester coming in as the return man. Uh, that was an obvious choice in my view. So, so awesome. I, that's the list.
1: I mean, obviously I would go buckets over Ray Lewis. I think we all again know that we don't have to rehash that. Buckus did get second Donald. place
0: with 13 votes, just to yeah
1: there. Uh, Who was behind Donald
0: and who was behind Taylor? So uh, right behind Donald, they they did defensive tackle. And, and my guess, because they didn't do defensive end, which I guess, you know, maybe in a way they just considered this part of the edge rusher category. I consider them different, but the edge rusher category, they included Reggie White as yeah. the runner-up. So clearly that shows you that defensive end was in there. Uh, defensive tackle second place went to Joe green with five votes. Deacon Jones got three. Yeah. So Darnold ran away with
1: it. Yeah. If they're bringing it down like that, I'm, I'm guess I'm comfortable with it. I, I made the case that I would go Reggie white over Lawrence Taylor. I just think, listen, I think being a good person has a little bit to do with it. Uh, but I, uh, but again, I, but yes, as far as just the goat, I guess in that debate goes, you know, for the Dion thing, we did this when we did our top 10 defensive players. That's one of those really hard things because there are guys out there, the Rod Woodsons, and the people you, have, you make arguments like, no, dude, dude, they're better cornerbacks. Like, yeah, yeah. But I think Dion, I his personality overall, he has this kind of air, a swagger. There's a lot of people didn't throw it Dion because Dion was that good. Uh, and so. It's tough. I'll let someone else make the argument. I'm comfortable with it. You know, I love Ronnie Lott, so I'm comfortable with that there. Uh, Vinatieri, I do think, is the best kicker of all time. I think um, it's going to be hard to ever pass Vinatieri, mainly because he did play for so long. So he's got longevity going for him. He's got historical accuracy, and he's got literally biggest moments. I mean, he is, you know, it's going to take another kicker, a Justin Tucker S type of kicker to have a really long career and kick some gigantic field goals in some gigantic moments. The snow, Vinatieri did it into the playoff game. Obviously, the Super Bowl winning kicks. So it's hard to argue against Vinatieri at all. Uh, Devin Hester deserves to be in his spot. So again, I don't have too much. I would, to me, my biggest frustration is I think D tackle, D end, and, and pass rusher. I would go you break it down to three categories like that. You go D tackle. I'd go Donald D end. I'd go white and I'd go rushing the passer or pass rusher. Lawrence Taylor.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I, I think they should have allowed, I mean, defensive end had such a long history before the edge rusher was really a thing. So I, I think they should have included that in there. And I would agree that, you know, Reggie white would clearly make that list and, and make that cut. The safety thing was interesting. I mean, I, I don't disagree necessarily with the Ronnie Lott pick, uh, but I did think it was it was interesting how they kind of broke things down. 27 of the 50 votes went to him, 15 went to Ed Reed, and then it was really just kind of broken up with a few votes here and there for Brian Dawkins, Paul Krause, and Troy Polamalu. Uh, so I I think don't Paul, necessarily disagree with that. I but, hate uh, that.
1: I think Palomalu deserves to be closer, closer regarded to Ed Reed than yeah. we think.
0: Yeah, because it's 15 I, votes for Ed Reed to two with Troy. I don't see them being that far apart. I will, I will concede, and I always have said this, Ed Reed is probably the better one. Yes. I, I, just just out of preference and the highlights and uh, it's a being a huge like fan, I would choose or Ray Troy. It's the Erlacher-Ray yeah. Lewis thing. I feel like I they that. should
1: be regarded closer, but people, it's, as history goes on, I want to make sure I'm reminding people they're not as far apart as you think.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and and that's that's how I probably feel about Dion and and some of those corners too, like the Rod Woodsons and the Charles. Who Woodson's. came
1: behind Dion? What was the voting? So breakdown? It,
0: it, Charles and Rod both got yeah. five, and then De- uh, Darrell Revis got four, and then there was a group of Champ Bailey, Mel Blunt, Mike Haynes, Champ. and Night Train Lane. All that got one. Mel Blunt getting one is kind of a, that's kind of a slap in the face, I think, yeah. a little bit, um, and the fact that Dion got thirty-two of fifty. Uh, Deion's the large. easy answer. I mean, I think yeah. Deion's
1: the easy answer. He's prime time. It's hard to argue against Dion. You, you know, you really feel like you have to argue against him as opposed to arguing for him. Cause you could just say, well, he's prime time. He's Dion. And so, terms of, um,
0: Oh, sorry. Go ahead.
1: No. And so I just think it's, it's again, I really don't have any major qualms with ESPN's goat thing. Overall. My biggest takeaway I think is you, you should have broken up D-end and Ed and, and pass rusher. I think, I think I can make the argument as a football fan, especially going forward with modern football, the way it looks like it's going to over the next couple of years, defensive ends and pass rushers are, are not necessarily the same thing. And they are people who are specialists at rushing the passer, and there are people who are all-time great defensive
0: ends. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Uh, th- this might piss you off, of the linebackers. So Buck has got 13 votes as the the uh, runner up, and then it it's kind of a drop off. But interestingly, they put Mike Singletary as number three, he got four votes. Singletary, Jack- a lot of I think there's some
1: history behind that. Singletary gets mm-hmm. the nod because the 46 defense was so good. Yeah, that 80 that yeah. 85 Bears team and what they did. He was
0: the leader of the greatest. He defense was the leader. He time. was
1: the. And yeah. and honestly, a lot of ways uh, those D tackles. I mean, Hampton, uh, Mongo, McMichael's, Richard Dent—they were a huge part of what made that successful. But Singletary is the is the leader, and the hall and the main Hall of Famer from the greatest defense of all time. So I think he and you know he was great. I mean, he's he was and he had a had a, long, he had a nice long career. And I think um, Earl, if Erlacher and that '06 Bears team would have won again. If they would have won and beat Peyton Manning the Super Bowl, Brian Urlacher is thought of just as highly, if not a higher, than Mike Singletary, and closes the gap. I think it hurts Ray Lewis's legacy and it closes that gap even more too. the 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 Bears were, you know, a couple bad plays away from Brian Urlacher's legacy complete changing completely as well.
0: Yeah, Jack Lambert got three, and then it's a, a two or one votes for Ted Hendricks, Chuck Bednarik, Derek Brooks. Bill George, Ray Nitschke and Junior Seau. So, uh, you know, no love there for Brian Urlacher, you know, with those one votes, but there are, there have been so many linebackers too in history. And uh, so that's, it's tough competition to compete with. I agree with you though. I think he deserves a little more respect uh, in that category, but that was fun. It was an interesting one uh, to kind of go through again, the goat at each position. So they're not talking about, uh, you know, they're not doing right corner, left corner and doing one corner and, Uh, one tackle all of that stuff but that was an interesting thing to go over and kind of see where ESPN's heads at on that with the 50 people voting uh, for each position there so uh, that does it for a week of news preseason action we are now in full swing Uh, we have a week off as Mark Hespin uh, ties the knots next week can't believe it wild stuff so yeah no episode next week and then we're going to return after that and it's off Uh, off to the races with our rankings. We're going to have AFC followed by NFC rankings, uh, and our predictions as terms of uh, who's going to win their divisions, who's making the playoffs in each conference. So that'll be fun. And just like we did last year, dedicating each episode to a conference because we want to get into the nitty gritty of these divisions and, uh, and parse things out. So that'll be a lot of fun.
1: It's going to be tough. I'm I'm trying to work ahead because obviously Getting married this weekend. And then next weekend, uh, I'm on my honeymoon. So I'm trying to get the work in. So we're ready to go on that Monday when I come back from my honeymoon for the AFC. I'll just say, Dan, so much. To, there's so much in the air. I'm trying to put off. There's, I've like a team like the Browns, like I have them kind of already slated for where I think they're going to be. And then depending on how this all works out and the yeah. suspensions, you know what I mean? Like, there is some things to really work out and consider. Um, it's going to be, it's going to be fun. Well, I can't wait to break it down it and make is, the predictions. We'll also do our, in those episodes, we'll make our three bold predictions for the year that we can then yeah. kind of look back and laugh on. You
0: know, one of mine already, I think
1: the Panthers will have one quarterback start each game at some point in time.
0: Uh, it, I like the and, Panthers making a return to the bold uh, prediction list again. Yeah. They're going to be that team for a while. Panthers
1: we'll are always on the, the bold prediction list. Yeah. I love it
0: that's for sure uh maybe christian mccaffrey starts five games will be mine or something like that <laughs> <laughs> but um but yeah no. the interesting part about all of this is that i i always go in with like a preconception of what i think is gonna end up panning out but once i pick each game and then realize what the records are at the end i surprise myself and i'm like well yeah. actually okay wow i had the saints with uh nine wins somehow you know or something like that and uh and, and it kind of throws you off so it is interesting that it shows that the schedules play a lot into in, into these things as well so looking forward to that'll be a lot of fun looking forward to the wedding as well but uh obviously we've got some football games to get to in the meantime so enjoy that while we take this two-week hiatus and we'll see you back with some big time predictions in a couple weeks